Can we find truth? Can we find truth in this world? Is the, can we achieve, uh, if we looked hard enough, could we find absolute truth? Well, of course, I say yes to that. And there's a lot of things, though, in this world that are going obsolete. Uh, we have all sorts of things in our life that you might have used or your kids might or your uh, parents might have used, but your kids have no idea what they are. And so there is something that will never go obsolete. In Isaiah verse 8 of chapter 40, it says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And we have something that is secure, that is true, that is eternal, that will not change, and it will stand. And we have that. So we ask the question, is the Old Testament obsolete? Is the Old Testament obsolete? And as you know, we've been doing this series for a little while now. And of course, our answer is no. It has an important place, an important value uh, for us. But there are a lot of things that go obsolete, and I've got another item here. Are there any kids in this room that would like to help me out? Uh, way up there, have you come yet? Have you done it? Okay, come on down. Let's see how fast you can get down here from the balcony. Now, I know it's hard to always find seats in the main section, but if you want to get the bigger blessing, front row is, is where you get the bigger blessing. Okay, front row. You want to you want to sit in the front row for sporting events? You want to sit in the back row for church? Come on, get up here. Hurry up. Let's give him a hand. All right. Are you ready for this? Okay, stand over here. All right. One, two, three. All right. Do you know what that is? Is that one of those things you click and you can see the pictures? That's right. You are, you are the first one so far that has come up here and known what this is. Now, this is a toy called a Viewmaster. Do you have one of these? No. I bet your dad had one of these. Yes, you did. And your mom, might, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, she did. All right. So these are really cool. Have you ever used one? You have? Okay, check it out. I don't even know what's in there. Maybe nothing. Is there anything in there? Oh, there's nothing in there. Well, here, let's try this. Okay, so these are little Viewmaster reels. Somebody, they're called stereoscopes. Somebody invented these. You can look at like postcards of places and then uh, they developed all sorts of other things. How many of you remember having one of these uh, Viewmasters? Okay, let's put it in. I don't know which way is which. Let's try this. Okay, now look out that way so everyone can see you. Okay, tell us what you're seeing. It's upside down. Oh, no. <laughs> It's, a, it, it's some kind of cartoon. It's upside down. No, it's a cartoon. Okay, hold on. Let's try this. Oh, know. sorry. Just blew your mind, didn't it? Okay, try that. Is, that. is that better? Okay, what is it? I'm not sure. It's, it's a cartoon. That's all I know. A curtain? No, a cartoon. A cartoon. Oh, okay. A cartoon. Of course you don't know what it is. Is it, is it switching? Yeah. Can I see it? I gotta see this. All right, see what this is. Oh, it's the Flintstones. You don't know the Flintstones? I do. You do, okay. So what do you think about that? Is that pretty cool? Yeah. All right. 
Well, good job. We're going to give you a big hand. And uh, this is when toys were fun. This is right here. Okay. And then listen, I got something for you. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to not let your dad have this because he's going to try to take it. And I want you to use it as fast as you can before it becomes obsolete. Okay. All right. Give him a big hand. Well done. Yeah, that one is, uh, that, you know, it's a fun little toy, isn't it? And they put all sorts of things in there. Um, uh, it's a special format stereoscope. And again, they would use it for like uh, scenic places that you might want to go one day and you kind of get more of a, a three-dimensional look into the viewfinder. And somebody had the great idea of making that into a toy and uh, using it for Disney and stuff like that. So kind of cool, kind of a throwback to the past, but the word of God never changes. It never goes obsolete. One of the foundational stories of the Old Testament is the story of Noah and the flood. And people have asked the question about Noah's flood, where did all the water come from? And the story of the flood of the Bible in Genesis 6 and 7 is often used by people to discredit the Bible. Because they said, how could all the animals fit on the ark? Where would the water come from? All of these things. How could there be enough water to cover the mountains? All of these are used to criticize the Bible. But I would say this. If we take the time to study it and think about it a little bit, we actually are going to find some pretty remarkable answers to these questions. Hosea 46 I'm sorry, Hosea 4, verse 6 starts this way. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Okay? Usually, the question is actually a pretty ignorant question. Okay? So, let's see if we find the the flood, Noah's ark, all of these things in the New Testament. And we do, 2 Peter 3, 3, knowing this first, that there shall be, come in the last days, scoffers, which is really interesting to me. I'm talking about people using these questions to criticize the Bible. That would be a scoffer, right? Now, there are people that have legitimate questions. We're not calling that person a scoffer. But most people that ridicule the Bible, that say there's no way there could be enough room on the ark to save all the animals, there's no way there could have been enough water to cover the mountains, most of those people are scoffers. In the last days... There will be scoffers walking around after their own lusts, by the way, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? From since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, referring to creation, whereby the world that was then was being overflowed with water. What was that? The world was overflowed with water. And all of those people perished. So the, Old Te- or the New Testament clearly points back to an authentic story in Genesis that really explains a lot, especially when you look at the field of geology. 
Now, when we drive around here in Illinois, everything's pretty flat. You don't see a lot of exposed rocks. But as you get up into Wisconsin or out toward the Mississippi and Galena, or especially as you go way out west and you start to see the mountains, and the, you see, especially way out in Utah and in Arizona, you start to see the rock layers exposed. Most people look at those, all those layers and say, see, the world is millions and millions of years old because it would have taken millions of years for those layers to form. And they scoff at this idea of a global catastrophe. If there was a global flood catastrophe, it would explain all those layers forming rapidly, very rapidly. Within a year, all of those layers could form or even, a, even less than a year. And we know that this has happened on a smaller scale because of Mount St. Helens. When it erupted, there was this big flow and then later it eroded out and you see all those same layers. We know when that formed. Okay, so we know the layers can form quickly, but the, Old, the New Testament does talk about this. Jesus talked about it, Matthew 24, 37. Talks about Noah. As the days of Noah were, so shall be the, uh, at the coming of the Son of Man be. Actually, both Peter and Jesus are talking about the future, the end times, and equating the, the days during the end times as the days of Noah. And I think we're living in those days. I really do. So as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days that they were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, by the way, some people say that the flood, there was a flood of Noah. They actually say they believe the Bible and they're Christians, but they say it wasn't a global flood. It was a local flood, a local flood. I don't know if this sounds like a local flood. Jesus talked about it as a global flood, didn't he? And he also said in Luke 17, 26, as we're in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. The flood came and destroyed them all. Not just the people of Mesopotamia, he destroyed them all. This was a global catastrophe. So with that as our springboard, Peter and Jesus, we jump back and we want to look at the Old Testament to find out what is this flood, what, who was this Noah, and what in the world was all of this uh, happening back then? How does it apply to me today? So we go back, and we look at Genesis 6, and we'll start in verse 17 today. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die, okay? So we're talking about any animal, fowl, or human that breathes air will be killed unless they are on an ark, right? All of these will die. Every creature and every human outside, unless it's a marine creature, perhaps some reptiles or insects, but all of the land animals, all of the humans, and all of the fowl they're not, that are not in the ark will die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. 
and every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shall thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. Of fowls after their kind and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. So this is an important word to really understand this. We did talk about this last week. We'll talk a little bit more about it today. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. Another question has been, how could Noah possibly gather all the animals? He didn't have to, did he? Shall come unto thee. They came, two by two. What a sight that must have been. And take thou unto thee all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. They had to have enough food and enough water on the ark to last over a year. And to have enough food, of course, for the animals. And that would have been a lot of work to build the ark. Some people say, well, how could they have done that? They had a long time. They had a 100-year warning, 120 years warning. How long did they actually build the ark? Well, probably about 50 to 70 years because it talked about after the boys had been born and got older and they had wives, then they would have started. So let's say 50 to 70 years. Could they have built this in 50 to 70 years? Absolutely. I think they're a lot more advanced than we think. And they could have hired shipbuilders, right? So and we always just think it just was them, but they could have hired shipbuilders. God would have provided the resources to do that. We don't know that they did, but that's a possibility. And they did know how to build ships, I'm sure. And then verse 22 of Genesis 6, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. How important is it that we obey God? Right? I mean, why wouldn't we? God knows what's coming. God knows what he's doing. God knows how to protect you. Do what he says. Just don't, well, you know, I, I don't think, I don't feel like it today, or I've got something more important. Oh, there's a Super Bowl. I, I can't go to church on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, think about what we're saying. Think about what we're saying. Think about what we're putting in front of God. So let's review the size of the ark. Last time we discovered that it was 450 feet by 75 feet by 45 feet. The volume of that would be one and a half million cubic feet. That's the size of 522 boxcars. Each boxcar can hold 240 average size animals. Most animals aren't big. Usually we're thinking animals, giraffe, elephant, dinosaur. Most animals are small, squirrels, uh, possums, you know, they're, they're not large. Let's say average them all out. Each boxcar can hold 240 average. So 522 boxcars at 240 per boxcar, you have over 125,000 uh, animals that could go on the ark. Okay. So Noah's ark could hold that many average sized animals. How many animals would on the ark? If you understand the kind, which is, is any, uh, animal that can interbreed, They've done the research, they've done the math, and, and even for extinct animals, it would only be at around 4,000. Okay, now it could go as high as 7,000, but either way, four to 7,000, and you have room for 125,000. Okay, so there is plenty of room on the ark for the animals, and for the food, and for the water, and for the people. All right? So the size of the ark is not a problem. How did the animals get to Noah? That's not a problem. Just thinking a little bit helps us to get and understand all of this. So we switch over from Genesis 6 to Genesis 7. 
Verse 1, and the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark. It's now time. He had heard about this flood 120 years earlier. It is now time for them to get in. They're done. They have the animals. And God says, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Noah was a man that had his faith in the Lord. And that faith was evidenced by his walk and by his obedience. Can the world see your faith? Can the world see your salvation? They better be able to because if they can't, you're missing out on the most important part of life. And that is sharing God and sharing Jesus by your testimony to this lost world. I have seen righteous in this generation and that was Noah and his family. And every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens. Now, all of a sudden, we're like, wait, it was two by two. Now, all of a sudden, we have these sevens, and male and female, and of beasts that are not clean, two, and male and female. So we have uh, two, and we have seven. What is clean? What is unclean? Well, we know what is clean in Leviticus. When God helped Israel set up its sacrificial system, all of that was pointing to a, a future Savior, the Messiah, the Bible tells us that there were clean and unclean animals. And it, was, it really wasn't that difficult. Clean animal was one that would chew its cud and have a divided hoof. So if you look at the animal, if they chew the cud and have divided hoof, they're clean. Now, you say, why, were they, why would that be clean? We don't really understand all of the reasons. Some people think it's because those animals had less a disease-prone, uh, foodborne illness-prone uh, issues with them, uh, or just simply to set them aside, set them apart as unique people. Now you say, well, this was before all of that, and that's true. God might have already revealed to him what clean and unclean was because they had sacrificed earlier, and I'm sure God had revealed that. So a clean animal would be something like a cattle, deer, goat, and sheep, those all fit the category. Again, there's not that many within the category. There'd be seven. That wouldn't add too much to the total number. Clean birds were chickens, doves, and ducks. And cleaned insects, grasshoppers, and locusts. Um, have you had any grasshoppers and locusts recently? They're actually starting to use them more as protein and powdered. So I, I don't know. Um, I, you ever seen those suckers and it's got an insect inside? I would probably do it except for the ones that have scorpions. Who thought that was a good idea? Scorpions inside a sucker. Only suckers, I think, would take one of those. All right, so, so we have these animals now, and uh, they've come to the ark. We have, most of them were the unclean animals two by two, but there were the ones that were clean that came as seven. And uh, that why, why would God want more clean? Because they were going to be sacrificing animals and you don't want to sacrifice one of the two, right? Then you don't have animals anymore, or at least of that kind. So Genesis 7, 4, and yet seven days and I will cause it to rain upon the earth. So they were in the ark about a week before the flood began. And then he says, I will cause it to rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. So you say, well, how could God be good if he's going to do this and just literally destroy millions of people and, and, and animals? Well, 
I explained this more last time, and if you really want more in depth on that, go to watch last week's message. But it's, it comes down to this. The world had gotten so bad and so wicked, there was so much violence and wickedness that there was a potential of the humans killing all the humans. And then there would be no savior. There would be no Messiah that would come from the human race as God had planned. So this was actually an act of mercy. And God also would have made plenty of room or more arcs if people did uh, repent of that. And, and, and they, they could have come on. They, the, I, I'm convinced that God would have saved as many as wanted to be saved. The Bible called Noah a preacher of righteousness. I believe while he was building, he was also preaching and convincing the world that they were on the wrong track and they needed to uh, put their faith in the Lord. So the big question, though, from this verse, if, if God's going to cause it to rain upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, is there enough moisture in the air in 40 days and 40 nights of rain to cover mountains? Okay? And here's a couple things that you need to remember. Here's a key. To answer the question, where did all the water come from? Number one, the mountains of today are probably much higher than the mountains in the original creation. I'm guessing there were small mountains just because God is a God of beauty and we all love mountains, right? And we could have just looked at the mountains or climbed the mountains. I'm sure there were small mountains, I would call them. But the mountains of today, the Everest, the Denali, these are mountains that have been thrust up and they're still rising today. The Himalayas are still going up, okay? It's because of the plate tectonics that happened, I think, during the flood. They collided and they were thrusting up. They're still moving today. And that will help us understand that the mountains today are much higher. So we didn't have to have the mountains up at, you know, 18, 20 a thousand feet covered, they would have probably been lower, maybe 10,000 feet or lower. So the mountains weren't as high. And also one thing to consider, and I'll bring, I'll talk about this again later, is the movement of the tectonic plates would have created a, a runaway subduction. So as the plate, one plate goes under the other, and every now and then they bind and they release, that causes earthquakes. Every time there's an earthquake, that's what's happening. Well, that would have been called runaway subduction as all, all of this was occurring in the year of the flood. The runaway subduction eventually would have uh, slowed down enough and created these massive trenches in the ocean. Well, that's where the water came off the continents and went down and also the, the continents raised up uh, because of the plate tectonics, but it also created these vast depths of the ocean and that's where the water flowed back down into. There's plenty of water. There's plenty of water today, and again, I'll talk about this more later. So all the water didn't just come from rain. As I just mentioned, plate tectonics, there's another factor here that we'll be getting to in a moment. Let's talk, though, about the fountains of the great deep, and we've done a series called The Tour of Noah's Ark. We went to northern Kentucky, and we talked to the Ark Encounter one of the, the people that were there since the beginning, Bodie Hodge, the son-in-law of Ken Ham, and he gave us a tour of the ark. Here's a clip from the In Grace episode, A Tour of Noah's Ark. We're going through some of the phases of the flood. 
Here we have the initial onset of the flood. On the 17th day of the second month, the springs of the great deep burst forth. And so we see these massive amounts of water then shooting forth. I think a lot of people miss that because you're thinking Noah's flood is rain. Right. Which it was, but it, it wasn't right. just rain because they say, well, there's, there'd be never enough water to cover the whole world. That's right. And that's a common question that we get quite often. So what it is, is you're getting a lot of the water from the earth itself is being shot up. That's probably what triggered a lot of the rain. Well, the Bible says the springs of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were open. And so you're getting a multitude of ways that this rain is coming down. Now I've had people say, well, do we have enough water to cover the entire earth? Actually, we do. We have plenty of water. If you take the, the ocean basins and bring them up, you take the mountains and the continents and you bring them down to about a level, we have enough water to cover the entire earth about 1.6 miles deep. Wow. So there's plenty of water there. So you're saying that the highest mountains were thrust up during or after the flood yeah, by probably, plate tectonics? Probably during and after that, uh -huh. that, you know, different ones at different times. We know the mountains of Ararat were pushed up by the time that the ark landed in them on the 150th day. So we have the flood beginning and then we have 40 days and nights of rain. That's the initial rainfall, raises up the ark. And then we continue to see the water prevail. And we see that sort of thing. Water levels rise globally. We see probably all sorts of landslides, so, tsunamis. So not all of a sudden all the animals and all the humans are dead, but right. they will be. And you can see evidence of, of tracks right. right, of animals we trying do. to escape. We see a lot of tracks of creatures, particularly lower in the fossil record. You get to a certain point and you don't find them anymore. We actually expect that. The Bible says on the 150th day, all the land-dwelling, air-breathing animals that breathed through their nostrils had died. When we think about this, you know, springs of the great deep burst forth. We see continental shifting and moving. And, uh, you know, this just gives us a taste. You can see this Indian plate where it kind of comes up here and thrusts in to the Eurasian plate. So you're going to be creating tall mountains where that Correct. happens. And, and in this particular area, that's where we find the Himalayas, for example, the highest mountain peak in the world, of course, sits in that, that particular mountain range. So what we're seeing in the world, we're seeing the, the plates, the tectonic movement of continents. We, we see them moving today. We observe them. We know that they collided in, uh, in really uh, fast and hard ways and thrusting up mountains. Uh, what, would have, what would have been a trigger for that? Evolution doesn't have that trigger. Uh, creation does because uh, somebody that believes in creation also believes in the Genesis flood. And if the fountains of the great deep were opening, that would have been the trigger for this massive uh, continental movement, uh, rapid movement, and eventually a <clears throat> subduction of the plates and kind of a runaway subduction that would have been happening. This would have been causing waters to come and flood over the continent. And I say continent because I believe that there was probably one continent. Most people do. Most geologists believe there was a, a single continent Originally, and the continents that we see today have broken off from that. We have a clue of this in Revelation 21. In verse 1, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Today, the seas divide us. The Pacific, the, o the Atlantic, the oceans are dividing uh, people groups today. Um, originally in creation, and I believe at the reset of the creation and the, the new heaven and the new earth, there's going to be a resumption of this one continent. Not to say there weren't any oceans, but the oceans would have not been dividing 
the continents and the people groups. It would have been one uh, giant continent, probably with shallow seas within that continent. Okay, So the breaking up of this Pangaea, this massive supercontinent, uh, is totally explained by the fountains of the great deep opening. Look at Genesis 11, uh, verse 11 of chapter 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life, that's kind of a cool uh, stat, right? In Noah's 600. Uh, of course, we know he lived longer, much longer after that. Early humans lived much longer. In the second month, in the 17th day of the month. Isn't the Bible accurate? It gives so many details. And I love that, that we can uh, verify Scripture because uh, God gives us these details. The same day were all the, here it is, fountains of the great deep broken open. So it wasn't just rain, and that's what people don't understand. When we talk about the flood, it wasn't 40 days of rain. It did rain. The windows of heaven were open. And certainly, if these, these geysers of water are shooting up the fountains of the great deep, the reservoirs of water are shooting up, something was a catalyst to start all this. And basically, it was just like a baseball unzipping all it seems. And the earth was uh, shooting up these water uh, almost hypersonically these water uh, jets, that would have been coming down as rain, okay? So the world easily could have been flooded because we have plenty of water here today. So that's where the water came from. Most of it was subterranean water. In verse 12, it says, the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now we know that the flood waters uh, were much uh, longer than that. They were rising much longer than that. But this was the time that the rain was happening, and then uh, the whole flood before the t- from the time they got on to the time they got off was at least a year. The ark settled down after 150 days onto a mountain, but they had to let the waters recede and also allow uh, the, some of the plants to regenerate and to start regrowing so the animals had something to eat when they got off the ark. So what would this unzipping the, the waters of the great deep look like? Well, I'm glad you asked because I have a video that shows you catastrophic plate tectonics and runaway subduction. In a, in a scenario like this, you're going to see the, keep the lights down so everyone can see this, and just keep the video rolling. In a scenario like this, you're going to see the sea creatures buried first, 
the smaller creatures buried first, and then the larger animals would be getting to high ground. They would have had a chance to escape until this final tsunami would have covered all of them. And that's why you see such a big bed of dinosaurs in the western states. It's a huge graveyard of dinosaurs. And then at a certain time, all of this would guarantee this huge trench in the middle of the ocean, all of the water uh, receding into that deep, deep part of the ocean. Uh, For 4,300 years ago, the earth was catastrophically flooded. How do we know that? Because we have a 13-state area here in the United States filled with dinosaurs, and that attests not to the billions of years, but the billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the world. That's what we find today. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us. Geologists, secular geologists, will tell you about every other story other than a global flood. They will never say global flood. They'll say asteroid. Um, the, the dinosaur national uh, park in Utah, it says uh, in, their, in their signage where there's this big bend in the river and all these dinosaurs are stacked up and you can actually see the dinosaurs still in situ. They say that all of that was caused uh, by a, a bend in the river and they just kind of all backed up there. Well, no, this was a catastrophic event covering them rapidly, preserving them, fossilizing them, and it all fits the Bible, okay? It really does. So there are some people that claim to be Bible believers or Christians that say this was a local flood. So what, how, would we, how would we say that that isn't what this was? Well, we already read the verses But there's some logic also I'd like to give you. How do we know this was a global flood, not a regional flood or a local flood? If it was a local flood and I had a really, really, really smart man who I really like and who's really smart in other areas tell me that it was a local flood. I said, well, then why wouldn't the people just have run to safety or the animals have run to safety or there's plenty of animals that weren't in that local flood. Why would there be an ark? It doesn't make sense. You know, for God to go through all that trouble and ask Noah to build an ark, it has to be more than just a regional or local flood, doesn't it? And then also, wasn't there a rainbow promised? A a, a rainbow in the sky, and every time you see it, it's not to promote wickedness and uh, sexual perversion. Uh, The colors of the rainbow were to promise to never do that again to the earth. And if it was a local flood, God's broken his promise hundreds of times because there have been hundreds of local and regional floods since the flood of Noah. No, God was saying, I'm never going to destroy the entire earth again with a flood. Just use some logic on some of those things, okay? And why do people hold to those views? Because what they're trying to do is fit the world's philosophy and theory into the Bible. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Trust the Lord. We have a reliable book. It has verified time and time again. Let's hold to this and not compromise on this, okay? All right, so Genesis seven seventeen. The flood was 40 days upon the earth. The waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lifted up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon a face of the waters. So this, this massive ship is now floating, It's now buoyant. The waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. See, it says high hills. Isn't that interesting? Not, you know, massive Himalaya mountains. 
15 cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered. Now, let's stop here a second. 15 cubits, we know that that's a couple hundred feet. Uh, so, uh, no, I, I, that's a much less than that. It's, it's like 20 feet. So we know that that's not enough to cover the hills, right? So what does this mean? I think it simply means that the ark, if it was 30 cubits tall, it went down about halfway down by load. So all the, the load in the ark, the animals, it sunk down, still floating, obviously, and it also was able to, co- uh, the mountains were covered enough for the ark to float by every obstacle below it until the mountains of Ararat would have raised up to kind of catch the ark is, is more of what likely happened. Now, how do we know there was enough water? Well, we know that Bodhi Hodge already quoted this, but let me actually give you the quote and tell you who, ga- who gave it. The famous sea explorer Jacques Cousteau. He said, were the crust of the earth to be leveled, the great mountain ranges like the Himalayas and ocean abysses like the Marina Trench evened out, no land at all would show above the surface of the sea. Earth would be covered by a uniform sheet of water more than 10,000 feet deep. Okay, so is there enough water for the flood? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, what happened to the water? Where did it go? Well, I think we get a clue in Psalm 104.6. Isn't it really cool when you can find clues in the Bible? Well, look at this clue. Psalm 104, verse 6. Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke, they fled. At the voice of thy thunder, they hastened away. They go up by the mountains. Guess what you're finding on every mountaintop in the world? Sea creature fossils. Sea, sea creature fossils. That's unbelievable. Again, it fits the Bible. They go down by the valleys into the place which thou hast founded for them. I believe God had created a, a mechanism that would open the ocean floors and, and go so deep, I mean so deep, uh, that all the water would uh, be able to go down into the earth. Thou hast... Thou hast set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. And so it is that all of these questions have answers, don't they? And it all fits, it all fits the Bible. Well, I'm going to back up a few verses and talk about Noah going into the ark. Genesis 7 and verse 21 It says, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man. All those whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and creeping things and the fowl of heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him on the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. So let me just bring this point, and we're going to close in a minute. Remember how in Second Peter and in Matthew and in Luke, those passages from the New Testament from Peter and Jesus were talking about the end times, and comparing it to the days of Noah. So we have a comparison here, don't we? 
What happened in the days of Noah? There was intense wickedness and violence and people were opposing God in every which way. Whatever God says, if God says marriage is for a man and a woman for life, the world is going to tell you the opposite. It's, it's it, it, you know, don't have to be married or you can, you can have sex outside of marriage or two men can have sex. You're going you're gonna to say whatever is against God. And then, and then if you really want to go against God, you can tell people that they can be any gender or any sex they want to be. When the Bible clearly says that God created the male and female. And so it's, it's not complicated. It's very simple. Why would people go against the Bible? Because they don't like God. They don't want to submit to what God has to say. They don't want to believe God. They don't want to worship him. They don't want to respect him. Well, that's a bad, bad, bad idea. Why? Because only the people that knew God, believed God, and obeyed God were saved from the flood. And if there's a future judgment coming, which Jesus and Peter tell us there's a future judgment, I think the better thing to do instead of scoffing at the Bible is believe the Bible that there is a future judgment coming upon the entire earth. God won't destroy it with water, but he will destroy it with fire. And that is predicted. And there's also a fire that is reserved for those that reject God and reject his love. So what can you do? What can you do to be saved from the future judgment? So that's the question, right? We saw that millions and millions of creatures died During the flood, we find them buried all over the world. Some people say, well, where are the human remains? Remember, God said, I'm going to wipe man from the face of the earth. And I think he did a very good job. Maybe the humans were able to scramble up to higher ground and that last wave hit them. And they, just like on 9-11, the bodies were pulverized. Okay, very likely, very possible. And so there is judgment coming. You say, well, then God is not nice. God is not gracious. God is not love. No, he is. But he, the doors only open so long. Eventually the door closes. Genesis 7:15 and they went into unto Noah into the ark two by two of all flesh were in his breath of life and they that went in went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. Noah didn't shut the door of the ark. God shut the door of the ark. The door of salvation is open today. It's open today. The ark is a picture of Jesus. He will save anyone who walks through him, who trusts in him, who puts their faith in him. And then once you're inside, you're safe. You will survive the the judgments of fire and you will spend eternity with God in a new heaven, in a new earth, when all things, all the evil and all the sin and all the cancer and all the disease and all the wickedness is gone. And that's the day we should be living for. And there's a, there is a day, there is a, a door and that door is open today. Let me end with a, a clip from the Tour of Noah's Ark series. And this is me giving the gospel with a, the full-size ark behind me. I hope that today this program has given you some answers. This is the picture of salvation. People are finding themselves hopeless. They're finding that they're they're trying to satisfy their, their longings and they're not finding anything to satisfy it. Somebody said there's a God shaped vacuum in our soul. We need God, but we're trying to find him by our own efforts, by our own way. There's only one way, and that's through the door. 
There was only one way for Noah and his family to go into the ark. They had to go through that door. But there was a time when that door closed. There is a coming judgment. You have a door that's open to you today. Jesus, the Son of God, said that he is the door. He said he is the way, the truth, and the life, that there's no other way to get to heaven but by him. You say, well, I'm not sure about all this. Here's, here's my challenge to you. They say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Jesus, the Son of God, came and died for your sins, and the door is open. And I just urge you and challenge you to walk through that door. You don't know when that door will close. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So the door is open today. Have you walked through? If you have, you're saved. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You're born again. You're safe. But if you haven't, do not delay. Put your faith in Jesus today. He is God in the flesh. He came and he died for your sins. He rose again. If you'll believe in him, the best you know how, just believe in him, you'll be saved. And that's the greatest news. And once you're in the ark of Christ, uh, not to say that everything's gonna be great. Certainly, they, they must have had some fearful moments on the ark, the creaking and groaning and the, the debris slamming into the ark. And is this thing gonna hold together and probably got some seasick animals and some seasick people. But at the end of the day, they were safe. They were safe. And that's uh, our life might be a little challenging at times and you might be a little disoriented at times, but if you're in Christ, you're safe. And if you have never done that, please do it right now.